Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett, and I hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. I've worked in ministry for over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as I am, I hope to bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Hey, we are here in the midst of snowpocalypse down in Texas. We uh, had a season of disruption due to snow, and so we had to reschedule a couple of guests, which means that I am flying solo. Uh, the studio that uh, Matt normally records in had had power that was on again, off again, on again, off again. And then one of our guests, who you'll see in the next couple of weeks, Jason Duterman, was a- unable to join due to uh, similar snow issues as well. Uh, I am back in my house now after four days without power. We stayed at a neighbor's house because they had power and most importantly, heat. And there were eight of us all... Uh, All of our family, Team Bartlett, uh, two parents and six children sleeping in one bedroom together. It was a large bedroom, but it was still quite an adventure. And it all coincided with the beginning of Lent. Uh, It actually kind of prequeled Lent a little bit. And that's an interesting thing because Lent is a season of emptying out and making space for God um, to a large degree. Um, And that space was kind of forced upon us, which I think was a blessing, to be honest. Um, It really helped us reorder our priorities because when the power goes out, you can't live in your home and you're disrupted. You still have to be a family in a powerful way, but you don't have the normal luxuries that help. For example, when the two-year-old starts to get fussy, it's always nice to be able to turn on a little bit of media to help them calm down while we finish preparing dinner and things of that nature. Those things simply weren't at our disposal over the last couple of days, and it created a neat opportunity. That opportunity is hopefully going to bear fruit here today on today's episode. Um, What I'm going to do is we're going to journey together through um, just a piece of uh, Sherry Waddell's book, uh, Becoming a Parish of Intentional Disciples. So for those of you who haven't read the uh, the OG, the original, um, it was Forming Intentional Disciples. It came out probably about a decade ago, and it really made a major impact in the way that people were doing ministry. So often we found ourselves um, just catechizing people, which again kind of touches base to our uh, our uh, podcast last week on teaching versus training, just catechizing people and thinking that knowledge was the end. But if we're going to form intentional disciples, we have to meet people where they are at and journey with them to where God has called them to be. And there's different thresholds that she discusses, threshold of uh, trust, threshold of curiosity, onward to being an intentional disciple. And uh, she wrote a follow-up book in regards to it. It is excellent. Becoming a Parish of Intentional Disciples. Now, how do we as a parish foster a community where intentional disciples can grow and flourish? That is the question this book seeks to ask, seeks to answer, forgive me. It seeks to answer, and uh, I want to challenge us to think about the same thing. But one of the final chapters um, on uh, generations of saints, the generation of saints in that book asks the question, how do we respond to the end of Christendom? Now, we've brought this up a couple times on the show in regards to the book From Christendom to the Apostolic Age that that we're in, but how do we respond to the end of Christendom? And it gives some real practical realities that are looking back at the saints before us that laid a path back in the Apostolic Age. And what did they do back in the day that can be modeled or emulated or that that led to the success that led to the introduction of Christendom, right? So at some point, um, Christendom uh, had had its birth into the world. And what what were the factors or the checkpoints that existed to bring that about? 
And so uh, the first thing that it talks about, there's about seven points, and we're going to walk through each one. Um, as we see this institutional decline in the 21st century, especially in Western uh, Christianity, um, we need to look back to how it all started. So they were first intentional disciples together. And so each member of this uh, generation of saints, as she refers to them, uh, was already personally seeking to follow Jesus Christ in the midst of their church. They weren't just looking to the church to be the only place where they would grow spiritually. They actually had a living relationship with God that was intentional in and of itself, and they had the full picture of a disciple, which meant they were trying to know Christ and make Christ known. That's been the most simple way I've ever heard it, is that a disciple's job is to know Christ and to make him known. And so it makes us think now, how are we forming people to be intentional disciples as individuals first and then as a community together? Do our programs, do our parishes, do our lives with our neighbors, the way that we interact with our own children? Do they show that sense of mission and purpose? Do they show that sense of seeking and growing? Do they show an individual relationship with Jesus? Or is it just a communal or only liturgical relationship with Jesus? Which again is a good starting place. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying those who just check the boxes as Catholics aren't actually good Catholics. I think they are. It's a matter of how do we take that and take it deeper? What can we do more in regards to fostering people to have a relationship with Jesus that goes beyond Sundays and goes beyond the rote prayers? I've entered into this program called Exodus 90, and one of the pieces is 20 minutes of silent prayer with the Lord just to listen to him. And in that time, I've realized we're only on day three, and I've realized I don't know how to listen to Jesus. I don't know how to listen for Jesus. It's always super helpful for me to have something to do in prayer. I could more easily spend an hour in prayer, praying four or five rosaries during that time, than to spend 20 minutes in silence with the Lord, because I don't know how to listen. I, my ears haven't been trained, and we need to foster that in others as well. And so I want us to think about that in our own life personally. First, we have to examine ourselves. In our own life, how have we, or how are we, fostering more intimacy with the Lord? Because the Lord wants that intimacy with you. He wants to pour into you. He wants to journey with you, and he wants you to be his beloved before you're his ministry leader. So keep that in mind. The next piece that the Apostolic Age had is that they were in mission together. And when we say they were in mission together, it, she really is referring to, Sherry Waddell is really referring to, um, that the, the laity, the clergy, the religious, men and women from all classes and educational levels, their different charisms, gifts, talents, and skill sets were all, so to speak, rowing in the same direction. It wasn't as if one person was waiting for permission from another person to act, but they all knew they had a common mission. Something about that age, there was this hunger that existed throughout the community, and they all knew that they were called to act on that hunger. Not if, but how. And so everyone looked at their own how, and they acted accordingly. And in doing so, they regarded parishes as the center of that. They would come together and make that the center of it, and then they would go forth from the parish in regards to it. So if you had an idea, you would gather at the parish, which a lot of times in those days were the center of those communities, those Christian early Christian communities, and then they would go and execute from there. But no one came as if they were waiting for the priest to tell them what to do. They already knew that they were called to live out dynamically and share dynamically a missional reality to their discipleship.
Next is that they collaborated on a grand scale. They openly learned from one another and were influenced by one another. And you see that some, some in the early letters uh, of, of Paul uh, to Timothy and Paul to the Galatians. There's, there's this communication that clearly is going on, and Paul is, is in the know of these different things where they're reporting back to each other and sharing what has worked, what hasn't worked, the arguments or disagreements, the, what is it, common misconceptions or uh, common points of uh, conflict, you know, frequently asked questions that were happening in the communities that they were serving, and that information would be shared and learned and the community would grow together and they collaborated on a, on a grand scale because of that. And I think that we in today's age have a better opportunity than they did to be able to collaborate on a grand scale. We've seen that in COVID time as a number of people are still able to communicate and do ministry. And yes, with Zoom fatigue and all the other pieces, it's got its own set of challenges, but we are in a modern age to where communication with the other end of the earth doesn't take weeks from a carrier or letter or something like that. Like we literally can pick up the phone or send a message and instantly be in touch with someone in another country with a different Christian perspective of discipleship that we can learn and grow from and influence. So we must be collaborating on a grand scale. I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> I simply don't. But I do know that even collaborating in our own towns and our own communities is something that's rare as well. We're in this season where uh, our numbers are very different because of COVID, and I can't help but wonder, while it might not make sense to bring out a, uh, a big-name speaker at, at your own parish because maybe the budgets or different things like, oh, we'd only have 40 people show up, maybe it makes sense for your region to bring someone out. Maybe it makes sense for your deanery to bring someone out and collaborate together. And if it's five parishes pitching in together, then that speaker that's way out of your budget might just become accessible. And it's accessible to your community now as well as the communities around you. If we can collaborate together, we can grow together. And that's a beautiful thing. They were present and future oriented. This is beautiful because I think sometimes we get stuck in the past and I don't think like the past, like do this in remembrance of me, the past. I actually mean the past, like in the past we did this, in the past we did this, but they were present to the here and now. And so these uh, the, these uh, generations of saints, these early saints, they were present right now. They looked for inspiration uh, and, and guidance to the riches of faith that exist in the tradition that they were living right then and there. And then they were future oriented about how does this look like for future generations, right? So how can we lay the, the groundwork in order for disciples to be fostered in the future? I actually do see this in existence right now in a number of different areas in the way that uh, a lot of newer uh, formation centers are being built. It's no longer just the religious, the religious education centers with a bunch of classrooms. It's more um, about disciple groups. It's more about community centers. It's more about outreach. And so in some of the resources that we're orientating, we're looking at the present, what is working now, right? And I think that we've seen that the big group model is not as effective, that we need to move more from the Sermon on the Mount to the road to Emmaus. So what can we do with the way that we build our facilities to be present and future-oriented for generations to come? Apostolic creativity was the new normal. Now, I, I find this point to be kind of kind of comical because if it's being done for the first time, is that does that mean it's creative? 
I, I don't know. But in regards to it, like the, the apostles, the early apostles, what they had to do to uh, to face often grim situations or circumstances, it required them to be creative. And sometimes that creativity meant simply spilling your blood for the sake of the kingdom. And then people would come to conversion in droves because they wanted something more. Like, I am not willing to give my life for anything, what a, 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 you know, a bystander would say, or even a participant in the Colosseum is observing, right? Someone in the stands. It's like that person is willing to give their life for this faith in Jesus, and I'm not willing to give my life for anything. I've never been that devoted to anything or anyone. I want that. I hunger for that. I desire that. And all of a sudden, the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. And so often, they were unafraid of the limits of creativity. Even if it cost them their very blood, they were willing to dive into whatever it means to be creative. And so the structures, outreaches, devotions, and resources that they had, they would put completely at the disposal, not partially at the disposal. They would actually say, go out two by two, go. And they would give their life to it. And that would be there every day. So often we are clocking in and out. And that's kind of the reality of the, the the way that we live. But some of us forget in the midst of our job at a, a parish that we are also mission, missionaries at this, the same parish. And so we have to think, what is the cost of discipleship? What is the cost of being a missionary? And am I willing to give it? Above and beyond our job descriptions, above and beyond um, our, maybe even our time or our resources, what am I willing to give and sacrifice so that that same apostolic creativity that the early apostles has is mirrored or emulated in what we do? They expected God to show up. Now, of this list, this one is probably my favorite. They expected God to show up. Um, they took a prayer and they said, Holy Spirit, come. And then they acted knowing that the Holy Spirit was with them. They spoke with such an authority. And I think that uh, this is a beautiful reality that we need to get our it back in touch with. Because when we're baptized, we're baptized as priest, prophet, and king. And prophet means that we have prophetic authority by virtue of our baptism being able to be called children of God. And sometimes we walk around like a mouse when in fact we're a lion. And a lion that's uh, sharing the truth of God that can defend itself. It's a powerful thing. Um, And so I want us to get in touch with that reality that when we talk about the Lord, when we talk about his goodness and how he loves us and how he desires healing in families that experience brokenness, in spite of the fact that some of us have seen some challenges in regards to that in our own parish, our own community, the division that might exist, like God desires us to be one. Our Protestant brothers and sisters and us Catholics, he desires us to be one on the same page, on the same team. And there's this beautiful reality of speaking with the authority of the Holy Spirit to say, I know this to be true. I stand by the truth that it is, and I'm going to live and preach and teach as such, right? So prophet, priest, and king, we are baptized, and sometimes we simply recognize that we are mere children of God, not princess and princes and princesses in the heavenly kingdom that have the same authority as our Father to make effective change in the world today. And so they expected God to show up. So I want you guys who are listening right now to change the way that you pray even if it's just for today. Change the way you pray and see what it looks like to, to, to speak with an authority of like, God, I'm not just asking, but I know that you are capable of this. And so in your abundance, your abundance of love and mercy, I ask that you would make this to be a reality in our world today. Show your love in this area to speak with an authority as they did to expect God 
to show up. Now, along with it, I think this is kind of the flip side of that coin, is they were deeply prayerful. They knew that cultural transformation and spiritual transformation began with an encounter with God and would only happen through an encounter with God. And so they incorporated prayer and intercessory prayer. They were advocating and asking God for everything. They were dependent on God. They clinged only to God. And that's where I think the season of Lent really provides us a unique opportunity. What does it mean for us to be deeply prayerful in a way that all of our needs depend completely on the Lord? What does that look like? Now, does that mean you quit your job and be like, okay, God, I'm depending on you to feed me? No, I don't think it looks like that. But does that mean that all of a sudden your job, you're like, I'm going to be so faithful because I know it's through this job that you feed me. And it changes the way we approach our work, recognizing that God is using the work that we do in order to sustain us, to answer our very prayers, to give us our daily bread. It might change our relationship with with our neighbors, right? Because we are no longer just in a neighborhood for happenstance, but we are in a neighborhood with an intention, like God has put us there for a reason. I recently have had a friend of mine, and uh, and he does a number of different things where he raises capital for investments and things of that nature. He he explained why he just bought a near million dollar home. And he goes, you know, it's nice to have a million dollar home. We don't need it. But I put myself in that position because the people around me also have million dollar homes. And that means that when I go to ask people for money, I can walk out my door and see neighbors that I've already built relationship with and ask them for money. So he has positioned himself in a place where he can find other people that would help his job and his role as a capital uh, cap raising for investments. Like that is a genius, genius thing to do, right? Even though his he's very humble, he's a modest guy, he doesn't show it off and he's very generous, but he put himself in a position where he would be surrounded by those that he would be interacting with for his job regularly. Our job as disciples is to get people to heaven. And we live next door to people. Like, don't think that the same thing isn't true for us in regards to our job, our mission, our purpose as disciples. Look where you're sitting. Your neighborhood, your neighbors are the very ones that you're called probably most intentionally to bring to heaven. If you have a neighbor that does not know your love for Christ or does not know your love for them because of your love for Christ, then I think you need to rethink um, why God has put you where he puts you. So we need to be deeply prayerful in regards to that because we know that God has an intention for what we are or where we are. And so invite God to be a part of all of that and ask God to reveal more clearly why he has put you where he puts you. Maybe there's some staff drama in, uh, in the parish you're working at. But God has called you in this season, in the midst of what is going on, not just with COVID and the pandemic, but also with the staff drama. Someone has to step up and be the one that helps bring people back to unity. That person has to be you. Like, be the change that you want to see on your staff. Be the change you want to see in the world. Be the Christ that needs to be seen in your neighborhood. Live it out. And then finally, uh, this is the last one, um, and then I'll wrap up with with, with some uh thoughts and comments, but they were faithful unto death. They knew that profound change was the fruit of a long obedience in the same direction, and they were prepared to devote their entire lives to answering God's call. Have we sought Christ enough to the point of shedding blood? What is the sacrifices that we're willing to make? And I'm not saying that this gives us permission to be treated poorly or anything along those lines. If you're in a toxic situation or a toxic work environment, 
Or if you're in a place where it would cause trauma to you to share Christ in a certain context, I don't believe God is calling you there. I do not believe that God calls us to intentional uh, pain, but I think he does welcome our willing suffering in a variety of areas. And in this season of a pandemic, we have actually experienced a variety of sufferings. And I think that God is blessed when we grieve the loss of in-person ministry because we loved sharing the Lord with people face to face. When we grieve um, the loss of regular uh, mass attendance because we loved coming together with the greater community. Like, I don't think that those sacrifices have gone unnoticed. I think that there's a beautiful reality in regards to that. And I think that in the same way that the, the early apostles were willing to give their lives, we must give our lives as well. Ministry is different now. Shifting or transitioning out of Christendom is challenging. It's so hard. I, uh, I, I'm an extrovert. But one of the things I've always been challenged with is making phone calls. I never enjoyed doing phone calls. I did sales for a while and and cold calls drove me nuts. I was a telemarketer for, for I think, four hours one time and I literally walked out. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So that type of thing, there's some dying to self that's occurred right there. Um, but when we're not able to meet in person, the phone is more intimate than an email. And so we have to look at different ways that we're willing to die to self to make this a reality. And they devoted their entire life to this mission. So how do we orientate our lives into this mission? And what would it require for us to die to self, to be faithful unto death to the mission God has called us to? Now, this requires us to step back because you got to keep in mind that as a disciple, you might have a mission that's unique compared to your role as a ministry leader. Now, let me just say this. Your job description and your mission as a disciple might have some overlap some pieces that are connected, but that does not mean that they are exactly the same. So whether you are on the clock or off the clock, your mission as a disciple still exists, which is the beautiful thing because someone can go become a lawyer or a teacher or, uh, you know, work at a restaurant and still be a dynamic disciple because they can bring Christ to the restaurant, to the law office, to the school that they work at, right? And so you as a ministry leader, whether it's uh, as a volunteer or as a paid employee, when you go to church, you're still the same disciple that you're called to be when you're serving at church as you are at home. So what is your mission as a disciple? For so many years in ministry, I've gotten those kind of just, they just got gray. They got fuzzy, right? My mission as a disciple and my job description, they felt like they were the exact same thing for, for a number of times, which also gave me permission. I gave myself permission to clock out of being a disciple when I was off the clock because my job description and my mission as a a disciple were the same. This lie is a trick of the devil. I cannot emphasize enough that you might have another mission when you're at the office, when you're at the parish, and that's because we serve at the pastor, right? We serve at the pleasure of the pastor because he is given, uh, he's the chief catechist, he's the one that a millstone will be uh, fashioned around his neck first if a little child, if a little one gets led astray, that that uh, passage from Matthew. Um, and so we have to serve and execute his mission, but we also have to do it within our mission as a disciple. So keep that in mind that there's two missions, and I would encourage you to take some time this Lenten season or this week whenever you're listening to reflect on what is my mission as a disciple, right? Because if you would have asked me a year ago what my mission is as a disciple, I would say to lead teens closer to Jesus Christ, right? 
But that is not it. That was my job. That is how I was executing my role as a disciple, to know God and to make God known. Right. And now I recognize that that's part of my mission. That's part of what I do. But it's because it fits into my bigger mission as a disciple. Um, leading teens closer to Christ is part of my mission as a disciple to draw all around me closer to Christ, but first and foremost, to draw myself closer to Christ. And those closest to me are the deepest, most intimate part of my mission as a disciple. And that's my wife and my six children, and then my neighbors, and then, and then, and then, and somewhere on that falls into your parish, your job, and things of that nature. But I think that we have to transform our mentality as ministry leaders of being on the clock or on mission in just those key moments and to be on the clock and on mission to our greater calling as disciples throughout all that we do. So in light of all those pieces, just by way of quick summary, they were intentional together. The disciples were intentional together. They were on mission together. They collaborated on a grand scale. They were present and future-oriented. Apostolic creativity, which is just, I want to get that tattooed on my arm. Apostolic creativity, like when God breathed you into life, I think he intended you to have apostolic creativity. That was his way of being creative. Apostolic creativity was the new normal. They expected God to show up. They were deeply prayerful and they were faithful unto death. These are the ingredients that the early apostles had that led to the birth of Christendom. Now we're in a place where we're starting to ask, how do we respond to the end of Christendom? And I think that we are start to foster these different elements in our life so we can seek out or help create the scenario where a rebirth can happen. A renewal is needed in our church as a whole. A renewal is needed on our earth. And we see that in different ways. Some of the aspects of it, of making it a reality, are specific to the communities that you live in, but all of us are called to help create a rebirth of Christendom, and uh, and that's that's what we do. So uh, again, th- this all comes from uh, Sherry Waddell's book, Becoming a Parish of Intentional Disciples. I think it's absolutely re- well-written. It's beautiful. You should definitely check it out. First and foremost, make sure before you check it out that you read Forming Intentional Disciples. It is a book that lays amazing amazing groundwork of the pathway to a disciple. And, uh, and we want to know that. If we, uh, if we can find out what kind of threshold people are in, as she describes them in the book, then we can meet them where they're at, minister to them where they're at, and then help foster true disciples, true discipleship, which will help foster the rebirthing of Christendom. Awesome, you guys. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's continue the conversation online. Again, Facebook is the main place to do that. You can find us uh, just by typing in Ministry Leaders Anonymous. It's a closed group, so you can discuss things uh, openly. Um, If you want to send us any feedback that you have, check it out. Uh, Send us an email at mla at ablaze.us. Share this podcast with someone and give us a five-star review. Um, Please, please, please uh, check it out and see if you haven't left a review yet, and this is your third, fourth, or fifth or more episodes. I'm going to ask that a little Catholic guilt kind of set upon you so that you uh, you do that. That helps us out. That helps us reach other people. And finally, as always, here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and to discern what your own mission as a disciple is and how that fits into your role as a ministry leader. And we'll see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. Thank you and God bless.